Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Why don't you stand, and I'm going to read our text, and then we will get to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. All right. Verse 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, the plans and the purposes that you have for each life that's in this room today. God, we thank you for Jesus who dies our death and who raises victorious, who's seated at your right hand, having accomplished the work of redemption and renewal. And God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who draws us, who regenerates us, who seals us and then does a work of making us look more like Jesus, growing us into his image, God, for your uh, glory, for our joy, and for our neighbors and community's blessing. And so, God, we thank you for each person of the Trinity. And God, as we kind of turn a corner in this series and start to talk about the Holy Spirit in a way that there's a lot of conversation and some controversy and some division around, I just want to ask that you would keep us from that, God, that you would keep us from unnecessary uh, conversation, unnecessary controversy, and that you would unite our hearts around the person and work of Jesus, around the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit and the things that he intends to do, God, so that we can know him, so that we can worship him, and so that we can enjoy him for everything that he is. God, lead us where you want us to go today, and we'll thank you for it in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So if you're a guest, let me do uh, two things, tell you two things about DR, and then I'll let you know kind of where we're going. During the summertime, uh, everyone kind of panics because it's freezing cold nine months out of the year, and we're afraid that we're going to miss one good weekend away with nice weather. And so our attendance kind of goes down, which is cool, but we try to take topics during our summer series that lead us toward a little bit more depth, a little bit more maturity, and we talk about things that Um, are tenets of our orthodox faith that uh, help with the implication of how we join together, how we grow together, how we mature together. And so this series, the Holy Spirit, is one of those. And we're going to talk today about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a reasonably controversial topic, but hopefully you'll see that it's really a wonderful blessing and be excited about that. Whenever you talk about controversial topics... There's some language that we put around this at DR, and we say that that's close-handed and open-handed issues. When we talk about close-handed issues, we talk about things like Jesus is God, the Bible is true, people are sinners and broken and need a Savior, and His name is Jesus, and He died on a cross, and when we place our faith in God's grace, He saves us. Close-handed issues that we're willing to argue over, that we're willing to divide over, These are things that are non-negotiables at DR. And to be honest with you, that list is not very long. I think that a church whose closed-handed list, the longer it gets, the weirder the church gets. And so we try to keep that list as short as we can, and we try to emphasize the patterns in Scripture of God's redemptive work through the personal work of Jesus. Open-handed issues are things that are important, and things that lots of people who love God 
lots of people who know their Bible, lots of people who want to obey God, differ on. And we want close-handed and open-handed issues here at Damascus Road. We actually, in our membership class, say, if you want a clean, neat, orthodox, believe this or you're out, we aren't the church for you. We want a lot of diversity because in that diversity, we think God challenges and sanctifies and grows us. And, and our elder board is, is a good kind of picture of that. Lots of people coming from different places with different perspectives, all trying to get to a proper understanding of the Bible and of the person and work of Jesus. And, and it's been a growing experience to sit in a room with a guy like Matt, who's coming from a different place than I am. And, and I feel like I know Jesus better because Matt doesn't always agree with me, right? And so this is one of those topics where I'm looking for you to do two things. One is I'm looking for you to be bold in your belief. I'm looking for you to, if you feel like God has taught you something, uh, I'm looking for you to be bold in the belief that God taught it to you. I'm also looking for you to be humble, to be teachable, to be open to God continuing to develop and grow and mature you. You see, if we have belief that's just bold, it's abrasive and obnoxious. And if we have belief that's just humble, it's not as stout and strong and steady as it needs to be. And so we need both. And so today we're going to head toward a continuation of our study on the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we can, here's our vision statement, know, worship, and enjoy the Holy Spirit for who he says that he is. We're looking to be introduced to the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit, starting in Scripture as our place to get the answers that we're looking for. And so I'm going to ask three questions today. And uh, because this is one of those kind of summer series, it's more of a teaching than it is a preaching. And so I would encourage you to grab your bulletin. And on the back, I did have a bulletin. Did I throw it down over there? On the back is a place for you to take notes. And so I'm going to try to give you as much as I can for you to get started and then I'm going to be looking for you to spend time with God apart from this and uh, have him teach you uh, on his own. Okay, so three questions. Number one, what does the phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, mean in the New Testament? That's the first thing that we're going to look at today. Secondly, how should we understand second experiences or second blessings that come to born-again Christians in the book of Acts? So how should we understand some of the miraculous things that happen in the book of Acts and then number three, are there expressions or phrases that are better suited to describe what the Holy Spirit does in empowering people after he has saved them? Okay, those are the three questions that we're going to look at here today. And if you are new to DR, um, please understand, this is just us kind of trying to move, a, move some space, move the chairs out of the, out of the, to the outside of the room, and let's just kind of sit in the middle and try to hear from God. So... First question, what does the phrase baptism in the Holy Spirit mean? What I want you to picture is if you were to draw a square and then put a cross in the middle of that square, you'd get four quadrants. And to help us understand the ways that we can identify what we believe about this, there's four things that you can understand about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. First is you either believe in one stage or two stage filling of the Holy Spirit. And I'll explain these. Next, you either believe in experiential or non-experiential. So one or two, experiential or non-experiential. If you believe in one stage baptism of the Holy Spirit, what you believe is that when God saves you, he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. It happens in how many stages? 
one stage, okay? Some of you are like, four. I didn't, we didn't even say four, all right? One or two. Um, one stage. So God saves me, God baptizes me. If you believe it's in two stages, you believe that God saves, and then later on, he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. So it happens in two stages. You either believe in one stage or two stage, and then you either believe that it's experiential or non-experiential. In other words, you believe that when it happens, something kind of observable and miraculous and maybe indescribable happens at that time. You have some kind of experience. And so if you're one stage non-experiential, you believe that God saves you and baptizes you in his Holy Spirit and that you do not have an ecstatic experience that goes along with that. If you believe in one stage and experiential, you believe that God saves you, baptizes you, and that some kind of outward expression, manifestation of the Spirit occurs, you have some kind of experience. So if we're laying this whole thing out, one stage, two stage, experiential, non-experiential, and all of the combinations that kind of go along with that. Seven times in the New Testament, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is directly referenced. Seven times. The first four are John the Baptist prophesying that Jesus would baptize in the Holy Spirit. Now, John the Baptist shows up in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and he's baptizing people with what? With water, yeah. And so John the Baptist is saying, I baptize you for this purpose and through this medium, but Jesus is going to come, and he's not going to baptize the way that I baptize. He's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. The first four of seven are simply John saying that it's going to happen. And so we don't have a description of what it is. We just have a description that it's going to occur. The next two, so number five and number six, are directly related to the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 5 and 11 verse 16, we simply see that the people who were at Pentecost were baptized in the Holy Spirit. First four, prophecy about Jesus. Second, number five and six, are simply saying that at Pentecost people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Not what baptism in the Holy Spirit is, but that baptism in the Holy Spirit occurred. The only time that we get any kind of description about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. I'm going to have Dave, why don't you throw that back up there for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. We read it at the beginning, but I want you to read it again. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all, what? We're all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the spirit. The only time that we get a description about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, Paul is writing to a church who is grappling with what their relationship to the Holy Spirit ought to be. And he says that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the, ba is the Holy Spirit taking individuals that he has saved and putting them in the same what? Same body, which is another word for what? For church. That the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that when God saves me, he takes me and he puts me in a community, he puts me in a family of which the father of that family is God. And that 
when God saves you, you become a member of the church big C when he saves you. Now, this idea of when you become a member of the church big C, when does that happen in your growth as a Christian? I believe right when God saves you. Right when God saves you. And so, when God saved me at 16 years old, the Holy Spirit baptized me into the church big C, and I became a member of the family of God, not only locally, but internationally. And then, as an expression of that baptism, being a member of the church big C, I went and found a local church, little C, to be a part of, and to be a part of that body. That exchange, the Bible describes as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is toward God taking lots of members and making them one body and lots of gifts and putting them toward one purpose with no one being better than another because of their gifts. At Corinth, they're arguing. Nolan is saying, I have this gift, so I'm better than Tim because he has that gift. And Paul is saying, no, the Holy Spirit saved you and baptized both of you into the same body. You are equal but diversely gifted in that body by the Holy Spirit. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. And it's the only time in Scripture that God talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and gives us a definition around it. But we have times in the book of Acts in particular where God has saved somebody and then they have a subsequent experience with him the Holy Spirit at a later point. And this is where a lot of questions come in because a lot of you have been in rooms or you've been taught or you have questions when you read through the book of Acts of these miraculous things that occur to people who appear to be Christians and should that still be occurring and if not, why? And so the second question that I want to ask is how should we understand second experiences in light of the book of Acts? Are you with me so far? Are you sure? You're awfully quiet. All right. Are you going to watch the World Cup today? All right. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. How should we understand second experiences? The first thing that I need you to understand is that when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, none of these experiences use that kind of language around them. So at very best, we ought to be careful to not use language that God does use over here but doesn't use in the places that we're saying that prove that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is this or occurs in this way. Three specific places that the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs. Acts chapter 8 with Samaritans, Acts chapter 10 with a guy by the name of Cornelius, and Acts chapter 19 with the Ephesians. And I want to briefly look at all of them in regards to this idea of a second experience or a second blessing. The Samaritans in Acts chapter 8 God promised in Acts chapter 1 that the gospel was going to start in Jerusalem and then it was going to spread outward. And whenever it spread outward, wherever the gospel is, the Holy Spirit is. And so in Acts chapter 1, you see God dealing with the church at Jerusalem in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is martyred for preaching the gospel to the religious leaders in Acts chapter 8, there are some Samaritans who receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not the baptism, 
the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I believe is happening. I believe that it's not, the point is not so much that they receive the Holy Spirit, it's who received the Holy Spirit. Here's what you need to know about Samaritans. Samaritans were racial half-breeds in that culture, okay? Don't, I'm not, I'm not, don't, don't take offense to that. That's just a description of what they were. They were part Jew and part Gentile. And because they were half of each, both sides hated them. In fact, Jews didn't even believe that they were human beings. And so here's what I believe happens. God says, I'm going to start the gospel in Jerusalem, and then it's going to go to Judea, and then it's going to go to Samaria. And in Acts chapter 8, the gospel has gone to Samaria, and the Holy Spirit comes upon Christians at Samaria, I think, to make the point that the Holy Spirit isn't just for a specific group of people, but is for everyone. And I think in this day, if you were a Jewish person, and you looked, and a Samaritan was being filled with the Holy Spirit, your response was, if the Samaritans are getting it, anyone can get it. That's what I think is going on in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 9, Peter has a dream. And in the dream, God says to Peter, I want you to eat things that you weren't able to eat earlier. I want you to, or this is Acts chapter 10, I want you to eat of pork, and I want you to eat. And Peter says, yo, man. I don't do that. I'm Jewish. And God says, I'm, I'm doing a new thing, and I'm telling you to eat these things that I'm putting in front of you because I'm about to do something bigger than what you think. And he sends him to meet a guy by the name of Cornelius. And Cornelius is of what nationality? Is he Jew or Gentile? He's Gentile. He's Gentile. And Peter preaches the gospel to Cornelius, and Cornelius is filled with who? With the Holy Spirit. He wasn't a Christian before. He receives the gospel, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you see this expansion of the gospel, starting in Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, and then into the uttermost. Acts chapter 8 to the Samaritans, Acts chapter 10 to Cornelius, a Gentile. And then in Acts chapter 19, we see Paul runs into a group of people in Ephesus. And he preaches the gospel to them, and they say, wait a second, we... The last memo we got was of this John the Baptist guy. And we received his message, and we believed his message, and that's the last that we knew. And Paul says, shut your mouth. That's the only thing that you know? Let me tell you about this guy, Jesus. Just like that. It's in the Greek, all right? Shut your mouth. I'm not talking about Shaft. I'm talking about Jesus, all right? I'm just seeing if y'all are awake. He preaches the gospel to them, and what happens? They receive the gospel, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason that these things are, listen, not second blessings is because in the case of the Ephesians, they had not received the gospel of Jesus, and God did not promise the Holy Spirit with the gospel of John, did he? He said, you receive Jesus and you get the Spirit. So when they receive Jesus, they get the Spirit. Cornelius was not a Christian before Acts chapter 10, and so when he becomes a Christian, he gets the Holy Spirit. And the only anomaly, really, is this geographic anomaly that I believe is God proving that he's doing a work starting in Jerusalem and spreading to the outermost parts of the world where the gospel is present, the spirit will be present as well. And so there's explanations for all of these second experiences and all of these second blessings. There's specific definition around the baptism of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that allows us to kind of settle into giving ourselves some parameters of what this is 
and what it isn't. And so when we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what are some expressions or phrases that help us to better utilize and better understand what God is up to? All right, are you still with me? I know that was thick. Now we're hopefully going to get a little bit more practical. The first thing that I want you to understand is this. Regardless of whether or not you're one-step or two-step, experiential or non-experiential when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we want to emphasize that the gift of the Holy Spirit is received through grace. The gift of the Holy Spirit is received through grace. The reason that this is important is because when God saves us, He saves us by grace, and in His grace, He sends the Holy Spirit to us. It's a gift, it's not a reward. In other words, we're given the Holy Spirit by God because we need Him, not because we've earned Him. If you're taking notes, you need to jot that sentence down. We're given the Holy Spirit by God in His grace because we need Him, not because we've earned Him. The reason that this is so important is because what we do not want in the church is two-class Christianity. So let's go back to Nolan and I. Nolan and I, God saves both of us. Nolan and I are very, very, very similar. Stand up, Nolan, and they'll see what I'm talking about. I'm just kidding. No, we're very different, right? So, sorry, buddy. You're just so magnetic. Yeah. God saves both of us. And immediately, the people of the church begin to say, Nolan and Tim, you guys need to pursue the second experience, the second blessing of the Holy Spirit. And so, Nolan and I begin to do the same things. We're repenting of sin. We're asking for gifts. We're uh, spending time in God's Word and in prayer. And Nolan gets the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and I don't. Nolan does, and James does, and Stan does, but Cheryl doesn't, and Tim doesn't, and Alexis doesn't. Now let's say that you run yourself into a problem and you need to talk to somebody. Are you going to go talk to the special class of folks who got the Holy Spirit, or to the ones who are still slugging away and trying to get Him? Yeah, you're going to go talk to that special class who got the Holy Spirit. And that's the thing that we want to avoid. Here's the reason. Listen. Because the reception of the Holy Spirit is by the grace of God, not the merit of the one who receives. And as soon as you start making two classes, humans have a way of making one good and one not so good. And this is the reason that Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Because the Corinthians are saying, yo, I got this gift, and you only got that gift, so I'm awesome, and you're lame. Right? And Paul is writing to correct them in that regard. And my, my concern with this two-step, this subsequent experience afterwards, is that it creates a grid in which we expect that God uses certain people better than others, or God blesses certain people better than others. And when you start working in classes, grace and the gospel goes out the window. The gospel is that Nolan is my brother in Christ, not because he earned it and I didn't, but because neither of us did, but Jesus does. And so, for my friends... And I have friends who I love 
and who love Jesus who hold to a classic Pentecostalism that is a two-stage experiential theology, my conversation with them is regularly, what about the gospel? The gospel of grace. The gospel is that Jesus does a work that I can't do, gives me blessing that I couldn't have, and unites us all as one in one body under the work of Jesus through the expression of the Holy Spirit. And so whenever we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit, we want to emphasize the gospel of grace. We want to avoid two-class Christianity. And then we also want to make sure that we're communicating that the prize in Christianity isn't the stuff that God gives you. It's God. Let me be straight with you. I'm deeply, deeply, deeply concerned about what's known as the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is that God wants to make you rich, God wants to make you healthy, God wants to give you stuff, and that if you're achieving the things that God wants, He's going to give you more things. And so if you're rich, it's because you're godly. And if you're not rich, it's because you're trying to be godly, but you're not quite getting there. Here's my issue with that. Number one, it's directly contrary to the gospel. Directly contrary to the gospel. Directly contrary to the gospel. Because it, cr- it creates directly contrary to the gospel. I'm not going to name in. I'm going to keep saying it until someone says amen. All right. It creates second, third, fourth class types of Christians. And listen, it makes what God gives you the prize instead of God. God doesn't save me to give me a Bentley. He saves me to give me Jesus. And let me be straight with you. God didn't save you to give you a miraculous, spirit-filled experience. He saved you to give you Jesus. And those who have Jesus have the Spirit. And so we want to be careful as we're thinking through and navigating down through one stage, two stage, experiential, non-experiential, the rails that I believe are wise for us to make sure we stay on, make sure we stay on, is the gospel of grace. The oneness the unified, the no-class Christianity, and the fact, the truth, that the great prize for a Christian is Jesus Christ, not anything else. And when we start to add to Jesus Christ, we diminish Him at our fault in not giving Him the glory that He deserves. So whenever we're talking about what are some things that we can used to understand this, we, we want to set those rails up. Number two, we want to acknowledge that there are different levels and speeds of growth, empowerment, and maturity. We just brought Michael up here and prayed for him. Let's say that Michael and I both, God saves us both, and we start on the very same day, and we're asking the very same things. Here's the reality of this. Michael and I, we start to grow, and we start to mature, and God starts to sanctify us, And then one day, Michael does this, and I'm still doing this, right? And then one day, I, Michael, we go at different stages and at different speeds and at different empowerments. Now, when Michael does this, do I say, Michael, you are a better Christian than I? Or does Michael say to me, I am a better Christian than you? No, he shouldn't because any growth that he gets, any maturity that he gets, any empowerment that he gets is by the grace of God through the work of the Holy Spirit, not because he's awesome. 
although he is awesome, which I expressly stated earlier, all right? We grow at different stages, and that's why we need a community, and that's why you need discipleship in a church, because in a church, especially one our size, somebody should always be ahead of you, and someone should always be not where you are, and you want to be seeking to follow and be discipled by, and you want to be a discipler to those who are beneath. But that process, then, is something that God accomplishes. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. So if Michael and I are both praying for this second blessing, here's what we're going to be told to do. We're going to be told to repent of our sin. We're going to be told to deepen our commitment to Jesus. We're going to be told to ask for the empowerment, blessing, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be told to ask God to sanctify our hearts and to teach us the Bible and to have relationship with Him. Okay. Now, if Michael and I both do that, would you assume that God is going to grow, sanctify, and mature both of us? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. That's the reason we did the grow in grace thing, Right? Read your Bible and pray. Be in community. Give. Serve. Be on mission. We're assuming if you do those things, God's going to use those things to grow you. If you grow then, do I say, oh my gosh, you got a second experience. Or do I say you're growing? You see, lots of times whenever Christians get saved, we see spurts of them growing. And although it is a work of the Holy Spirit, it's not a subsequent work of the Holy Spirit that means that they're a higher class Christian. It just means that they're seeking to walk with God in the sovereignty of the Spirit. He grows them as they see fit. And so if you were to take a snapshot of Michael during a growth season, you could say he just got baptized in the Holy Spirit, or you could say the Holy Spirit is sanctifying and growing him. The other possibility is that I think that there are people who come to church who grew up in church, and then they have some kind of experience with God. And because they thought they were Christians, they think that that experience with God is a second blessing when it's actually a first blessing. I've told you my story over and over again that I grew up in and around the church. My dad was a bivocational pastor. I prayed prayers for God to save me from the earliest age that I can remember. Three on my grandma's couch in her basement. Dear God, please save me from my sin. Right? And then four, and then five, and then at six I went to Bible camp, and a guy preached on hell and scared the hell out of me. All right? And I'm not saying that to be profane. I'm saying because he scared the hell out of me. I prayed a prayer for God to save me from hell. And then I went to Bible camp the next year, and I prayed another prayer, and the next year another prayer, and a couple times in between. And by the time I was 16, if you had said, Tim, are you a Christian? I would have said, I grew up in church, and I prayed a prayer every single year for as long as I can remember, since I could put sentences together. But here's the problem. When I was 16, the God actually saved me. Saved me. Changed my life, took my religious heart of stone, and resurrected it. And then he baptized me in the Holy Spirit. It was a first blessing, not a second for me. Here's my concern. I think that there are some who call a miraculous season of growth this second stage. And there are some who they call a second stage what they should be calling a first stage. D.L. Moody believed that 70% of the people in his church were not Christians. 
And I don't say that to, to scare or to intimidate or to condescend. I say that because I'm afraid that sometimes growing up in a religious context, we think that we have something because we're beside something. And I think that for some of us, God doesn't want to give us a second blessing. He wants to save us. He wants to save us. And so, because there's different speeds, different growth, different empowerment, I mean, we could use that phrase. The most common term in the New Testament when it comes to the Holy Spirit and our relationship to Him is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, the Apostle Peter goes through Pentecost and he gets the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 4 and verse 8, right before he goes to speak to the Sanhedrin, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say baptize. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 4 and verse 31, they pray and they get the Holy Spirit, a filling of the Holy Spirit after that. And so right before the need for empowerment in ministry and coming out of a time of prayer, a man who has the Holy Spirit gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And the connotation is that it's not spikes, it's rather a continual empowerment in a man who knows his need and dependence on the Holy Spirit's control in his life. That's what the Holy Spirit filling means. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, I want you to read this with me. In verse 17, Paul says to the Ephesians, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, And don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody of the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does Paul compare the filling of the Holy Spirit with? Going to Woodman's, getting a big bottle of wine. And drinking that whole thing. It's being inebriated. And what is being inebriated? It's being under the control of something. It's being under the control of something. And so Paul says, it's very similar to being inebriated. You are under the control of the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, these certain things are going to occur. The phrase that Paul used is in the present tense imperative, which literally translated would mean, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Now do let me pause and say this about this filling with the Holy Spirit. Are you still with me? Okay. The filling of the Holy Spirit that we see regularly in the New Testament is not always accompanied with speaking in tongues. Rather, we see times where someone is filled with the Holy Spirit and they overcome temptation. They stand up and teach. They speak a blessing. They prophesy. They discern. They have faith. Here's the thing that's important for us to understand. One of the ways that that two-stage, two-class Christianity gets set up is Nolan gets it. And when Nolan gets it, Nolan speaks in tongues. And I don't. But the teaching of Scripture is that there are individuals who get filled with the Spirit, and while Nolan might speak in tongues, I speak a blessing. Or I teach, or I discern, or I have faith. 
or I prophesy. For some of us, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit and our gifts are empowered, our gift isn't to speak in tongues. And Paul is saying, that doesn't mean you're second class. Because that's not the only way the Holy Spirit is identified. It's not the only way that the Holy Spirit is identified. So this filling of the Holy Spirit is a momentary empowerment. I'll give you an example. Before Noah and his team went up there today, they did, or should have, normally they do, go into that office in the back, and they pray. Cleanse our hearts, lead us, fill us, empower us for the ministry that we're about to do. And they walk in this room, and dependent on the Holy Spirit, they minister to this body for God's glory and its blessing. Filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4 and Acts 7, this occurs. The other aspect to it is a long-term characteristic of a person's life. That guy is filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's my concern, guys. We've taken this phrase, pulled it out of Scripture, created two classes and two stages, and we give people the expectation that the Holy Spirit is... Rather than... Now, other times where a man or a woman who is filled with the Holy Spirit, God is going to do something miraculous? Yeah. But at, at, at most, someone filled with the Holy Spirit is going to look like this. Whenever Peter is used by God to do miraculous things, is he like, did you see that? Does he get a TV show and sit on a gold throne and he just expects? Just a part of what God does by his grace in his sovereignty for his glory as Peter is seeking to be filled with him over the long haul and in those momentary times of ministry. Sometimes God shows up and God does whatever he wants. Hear that. God does whatever he wants. But this, if I can be honest, this, this dangerous teaching that is that God only uses a couple. God only gives to a couple. And when he does, it looks like this. And you need to pursue that until you get it. Puts people in bondage and gives people an expectation that we don't see in the Bible. You see a steadiness, you see a dependence, you see a faithfulness, you see a filling. You see a group of people who they step out the door and they say, I'm dependent on your work. And if God strikes lightning, they say, thank you, God. And if they go through an ordinary day and God's faithful in it, they get to the end and they say, thank you, God. But they're not longing for the next lightning strike, as it were. (laughs) They're longing to be with God and be filled by his spirit. So three things that I want you to consider and then we'll be done. Today, I want you to consider and listen to the Spirit about whether or not you have been saved and baptized into the body. 
That quote from D.L. Moody haunts me. And I, I get a little fearful to say that I want you to regularly consider whether or not God has saved you. But I know my story, and I know the story of so many of you. That there came a point where you realized that you were religious, but not a Christian. So I don't say it to create doubt, I say it to create security. Because I either want you to get to know that God has saved you, or I want you to get the rest that God has saved you. But in either case, I want you to walk out of here, listen, today, knowing. And so if you're in here today and you say, I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying that I'm religious but not a Christian, what should I do? I would say you need to listen to him and become one. Today, right now. If you are a Christian, God has baptized you into a body. You are a member of the church. And I would ask you to take that more seriously than some of us do. The body needs you. God created you to be a part of a body. You're a hand or a foot or a mouth or a forehead or an earlobe. I don't know what you are. But I know that there's nothing on my body that I think, I don't really feel like I need that anymore. Well, maybe a couple things, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) The body needs you. And so this lackadaisical approach to the church, this optional approach to this church, the I don't know if I will today approach to the church is in direct contradiction to the work of the Holy Spirit in baptizing you into the church. And so I'm not talking about you being religious. I'm talking about you being a part of a community. Maybe the Holy Spirit saying to you today, I want you to invest into that community and be invested in that community more deeply than you have been. Take redemption and membership seriously. Number two, I'm asking you to submit yourself to the Holy Spirit as he seeks to sanctify and grow you. That example that I used with Michael and I, the caveat to both of those is that in both, our growth occurred because Michael and I both asked the Holy Spirit to do it. Listen, there are Christians who their Christianity is very simply, uh, you know, a a marginal lifestyle. But a spirit-filled person is a person who says, I'm yours, man. Do whatever you want to make me look like Jesus. This means making the aim of your life the glory of God. And when things are good, I glorify God. When things are brutal, I glorify God because my aim is his glory, not my comfort. And then lastly, I want you to pray about being filled and aware of your need for the Holy Spirit to empower both the miraculous and the ordinary. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up, and when I wake up, I'm going to be a man. I'm going to be a husband. I'm going to be a daddy. I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be a friend. I'm going to be a Christian. And to do any of those, let alone all of those, as God has called me, I'm in desperate, desperate need of the Holy Spirit. And so what I'm asking you to consider is today, has God saved you and put you in the body? Is your desire the glory of God? And do you know that you're daily dependent on the filling of the Holy Spirit? And I would say that somebody who knows they have been saved would worship differently knows that they're a part of a church, would invest differently, knows that the glory of God as their aim would look at life differently, and knows they're dependent on the Holy Spirit, would wake up differently. 
Tomorrow your day is going to start and you have all of these characteristics and things that make you who you are. If you're dependent on the Holy Spirit, ask Him to be at work. Ask Him to fill you. Be cognizant that He's at work and He's around you. That He wants a relationship with you. That He both speaks to and can hear from. We want to be a Spirit-filled people. We want to be a Spirit-filled church. And part of that is the very simple request to God to fill us with His Spirit on a daily basis. And if God chooses as we're filled with His Spirit to strike lightning, praise God. And if God chooses to let me get through my day, love my wife well, parent my kids well, study His Word, give the Gospel, be a good pastor come home, be kind to my family, and end the day. I want that. But in order to have any of that, I need him. So I'm asking you to consider those three things as we stand and respond to uh, God's word here. Go ahead and stand with me. Three ways that I want you to respond uh, in a kind of practical way. One is... Maybe you just need to pray here today. You need to pray about your relationship to God. You need to pray about your relationship to the Spirit. You need to ask for a filling of. If you want somebody to pray with, there'll be folks to my back left, your back right, who would love to pray with you. The other would be to come up and take communion to remember how we were given the Spirit through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And then lastly, we want to sing. We've got people who are gifted, who are filled, who are serving this body. And when God's people respond in praise to God's work, it says that His Spirit inhabits that praise. And so sing, take communion, and pray. Let's pray. God, we thank You for uh, the Holy Spirit. And God, uh, I pray that You are glorified today with um, my attempts to study Your Word and communicate it as faithfully as I know how. And God, the things that are true and right, let us hold fast to. And the things that are divisive and controversial, let us put aside. Unite us, God, around the person and work of Jesus. Empower us by the filling of your Holy Spirit in both the miraculous and the ordinary. But most of all, God, be glorified in our midst. As we seek to worship you, as we call in dependence on you, save people today, grow people today, fill people today for your glory, for your plans, for our blessing and our joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name.